Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators, you know, let you know what we've been playing recently. And speaking of that, on this episode are... All Games New and Old, Meeple and the Moose, Dice and Dragons, The Meeple Dungeon, The Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please take the time to check the show notes to the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, well, like, you know, 20 times. Enjoy! Hi everybody, this is David from the All Games New and Old YouTube channel. It's been a few weeks since I've been on here, life got really, really hectic. So my gaming time has been really, really short. Luckily, I did manage to play a game recently. I played Maiden's Quest from WizKids Games. Now, this is a game that plays from one to four players, and you can play it competitively or cooperatively, but I've only actually played it solo. Uh, That's really actually the main reason I bought it. I wanted a a solo game with a small footprint that I could play pretty easily uh, whenever I had a free bit of time. And this game does have a small footprint. In fact, other than the times when you have to shuffle, you could play it with just a hand of cards and the deck sitting nearby, which is really, really nice. The theme in this game is you are playing a princess who has been captured by some evildoer and been locked into a tower. But you're not content to sit around waiting for someone to come rescue you, so you decide to fight your way out on your own. So the way this game works is you will first pick one of the princesses available. Each one has their own special abilities. And on the back of their princess card, it'll have certain cards that you are going to add into the princess deck. And these could be one of the possible available dresses, which also have certain powers, uh, a certain item that your character will always have, and then various other items and health cards. Then you're gonna pick your captor. So there's a a number of those as well, each one uh, tough in different ways and each one with their own special power. And those cards as well will have things on the back that'll tell you what obstacles such as creatures or whatnot you're going to put in the uh, the bad guy deck but there's also going to be a couple allies you will shuffle in there and some treasures that you could possibly get during the game so once you have these two decks you're going to shuffle them together including the the bad guy card and your princess card all that is going to get shuffled into this deck it's very important that you keep those cards initially uh, the right side up they ought to be facing the same way because uh, as I'll explain as you upgrade or downgrade your cars you're going to be flipping them different ways to, to indicate that. So once you've shuffled that up you are going to start trying to go through this tower which is represented by the deck you have. At the bottom of the deck you will have a couple of rest cards that will be put down there so uh, when you hit them whatever you're in the middle of you will stop that and shuffle 
the deck back again, and you will flip the rest card so it'll tell you what level of the tower you're on. Some of the levels you're on for more than one flip, uh, some of them uh, only one. You are going to take cards from the top of the deck to the bottom until you get a card that is either your princess or an obstacle or your captor. And once you get that, you will have four more cards behind it. And those will be the cards that you have to use to either deal with the bad guy or to help the bad guy out. You'll also have your deck in front of you, and the card on the front, because these are double-sided cards, you use both sides, that is considered to be showing what's down the hall. So you know what's coming up next. You may even have certain things that'll let you pull that card into your hand. Basically what you're gonna be doing is if there is an obstacle, it will tell you certain symbols that you're gonna need to defeat that obstacle. It'll also tell you a fail condition if you don't manage to do it. So you're gonna look at the cards you have and see if you have the right number of symbols. There is also a wild symbol, which is kind of helpful. As I mentioned earlier, there are symbols that will let you draw another card into your hand. Uh, if you have your princess card, she will let you usually upgrade one of your cards. Since I mentioned that, I'll talk about upgrading now. So from the front of the card, if you just flip it 180 degrees, now you have a, a different set of information on that left side of the card. And usually it's going to be more souped up because you upgraded that card. So you're going to try to deal with this obstacle in your way. So if if you could do it, great. You'll flip that obstacle over and usually will have some kind of a reward. It may also have a symbol at the top that you can use in a future hand of cards. If you fail though, it'll also tell you what happens. It could be that you have to downgrade a certain number of cards, in which case if you are at that first position of the card, you'll flip it over or there'll be two more positions. So your card will uh, possibly get weaker. Sometimes it actually gets stronger, but you're closer to that item being permanently broken. Usually when you get to the last spot, it can actually cause you damage every time it pops up because those obstacles can also cause damage if you fail to defeat them. And so you'll have to look for the symbol of heart on one of your cards. And if you find one, you will then downgrade it. If you don't have one in your hand, you still have to go through the deck and find those heart icons and downgrade those cards. Uh, however, if you just have a downgrade penalty, you only have to downgrade the cards in your hand. You don't have to go through the rest of the deck afterwards. So once you've gone through the deck, when you get down to the rest card, you are going to flip that rest card so it'll show you're at the next level of the tower or the next part of the same level. You'll reshuffle the deck you had, keeping all of their, uh, keeping them all facing the way they were when you got through that deck and you'll go through again. By this point, some of your cards might be upgraded, some might be downgraded, you may have defeated some bad guys, and you're gonna keep doing this until you either can no longer take damage and you have to. If you defeat your captor, you win that way. Also, some of the cards when they get to their last spot will have an exit possibility, and those are usually fairly challenging to get through. You'll need a good number of symbols and usually a key icon, which are not super common. But if you can defeat them, that is also a win thing. You'll get out of the tower that way. So I hope that wasn't all too confusing. It's a little hard to explain it without showing you. One thing I will note is that I heard even before I bought this that the rule book in the game box itself was missing some important rules. So if you decide to check this one out, make sure you download the updated rules because that should have everything. But this is a really interesting and nice job of simulating a dungeon crawl. It almost feels a little bit like a deck building game. Even though you don't have cards out in front of you to purchase, you are adjusting 
upgrading your deck because when you upgrade, for instance, you can choose which one to upgrade. Or when you downgrade, you can choose which one you want to downgrade. So you have uh, a lot of effect on your deck as the game goes on. This game can be really challenging. Some of the princesses and the bad guys that you could go against can really affect the difficulty a lot. Overall, I like this game. It's probably not one of my top of all time or anything, but again, if you want a good solo game that does not take up a lot of space, it's a pretty good choice for that, so um, I do recommend looking into it. That is, again, Maiden's Quest from WizKids Games. I am David from All Games New and Old. Definitely check out our YouTube channel. We're right in the middle of our top 50 games of all time, so make sure and subscribe so you can catch every episode of that, and I'll see you all around the table. Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleLemoose.com, and I'm here to talk to you today about the games I played this week for what you've been playing Wednesday. This week, my wife and I were supposed to go out to celebrate my birthday, but our daughter fell ill, so we had to call off the babysitter. Luckily, she slept well through the evening, which gave my wife and I a chance to play a game together. Full disclosure, I have never played an exit game before. For those unaware, exit the game is kind of like an escape room in a box, in that there are a series of puzzles and the goal is to solve them all. What finally pulled my wife and I into this game system was the release of the Lord of the Rings exit game. Now, we are huge Lord of the Rings fans, and putting that theme on any game is a great way to spark our interest. I'll do my best not to spoil any specifics of the puzzles in this segment. When you first open exit the game Lord of the Rings Shadows Over Middle-Earth, there's a rulebook with a stop sign and lots of yellow caution banners. They really don't want you diving into this willy-nilly. We punched out the thin cardstock pieces, laid them all out, and separated the decks of riddle cards and answer cards. The component that makes this system tick is the decoder ring. Each puzzle has a symbol associated with it, like a circle, a triangle, etc. And each puzzle should produce three numbers. You align those three numbers with the associated puzzle symbol on the decoder ring, and it will reveal an answer card in the answer deck. If you're wrong, it'll show you a big red X. But if you're correct, you'll be treated to the next bit of the puzzle and told how to continue. Our biggest challenge with Exit the Game, Lord of the Rings Shadows Over Middle-Earth, was wrestling with the components. The game is meant to be destructible, so there's no real point in investing any more than the bare minimum on the components. But more than once it asked us to place thin cardstock pieces onto the puzzle booklet that wouldn't lay flat. We ended up getting sticky tack and tape to help keep everything in place. Now, this box was a 2 out of 5 on the difficulty scale which thinking back makes sense. We had a bit of a rough start in that we didn't really know what the game was asking us to find. We used at least one hint for each of the, for the first five puzzles, but then fell into a groove and solved the last five puzzles without any hints at all. The hint system was pretty generous. The first hint gives you a light nudge in the right direction, while the second hint is a bit more blunt. Finally, the third hint will just give you the answer straight out. The story was fine, I suppose. It follows the story beats of Frodo's journey to destroy the ring, but it also inserts a character who shouldn't exist. The entire book of the Two Towers is just skipped, and there are other minor things like the forging of Anduril from the Shards of Narsil when Aragorn first reaches Rivendell with the Hobbits. If you're a die-hard Lord of the Rings fan, don't take the story too seriously. It's a fun series of puzzles, and the theme was enough to get some buy-in from my wife and I. We didn't like the special in-app timer Cosmos produced, as the atmospheric soundtrack was a bit more creepy and didn't invoke the Lord of the Rings feelings that we've grown accustomed to. It was much better when we just put on the film soundtrack in the background. 
We are looking forward to our next exit the game date night. Maybe we'll do better this time and finish the next one in under two hours with less than 10 hints. The next game I played this week was Tekenyu, Obelisk of the Sun. Now, Tekenyu took up most of a Saturday afternoon. I spread the board out over the table, erected the titular obelisk, and made my way through the rulebook. Tekenyu, Obelisk of the Sun by Daniel Tashini and David Hertzi is an action selection game for one to four players. The board of Tekenyu is broken into six sections, with the spire sitting in the middle that casts a shadow on some of those six action spaces. As a result, the action spaces will be divided into sunny, shaded, and dark sections. Each round, the obelisk will turn, adjusting the shade level on each of these spots. The light level on each of these action spots is important, as it affects if the dice in each of those action spots are pure, tainted, or forbidden. At the start of the game, there'll be three dice in each of the action spots, and every time the obelisk moves, dice equal to the number of players will be rolled into the two shadowed sections. On your turn, you will need to take a die from one of those six action spaces and perform that action. The color of the die will affect where you place it on your player board, either place it on the pure or tainted side of a scale. After four turns, players will enter a match phase in which you will have to evaluate your karmic balance. If your soul has too much taint, you'll lose points. There is a lot to consider when playing Tekenyu Obelisk of the Sun. Many of the actions will change depending on the pip value of the dice in that action spot, so not only are you considering which action you want to do, but which color of the die you'll take and which pips they'll have. There's a lot of things to come together for your plans to work out perfectly, and you're, you're more likely to find yourself compromising pretty quickly. It's mildly annoying that after each round when the obelisk turns, you'll have to adjust all the dice on the board to their new purity or taint values. Now, this game of Dekenyu took us about three hours to play, including a rules teach, and this was all of our first attempts at the game, and we agreed that it was fairly enjoyable. It was a complex, crunchy puzzle. Personally, I haven't really been a big fan of Daniel Tashini's previous games like Zulkin, Teotihuacan, or Voyages of Marco Polo. I enjoyed Tekenyu more than any of those, but I'm in the minority. My game group all preferred Zulkin or Teotihuacan. Tekenyu is also a bit more complex than any of those games I just mentioned. I have a suspicion that playing at 4 players can skew the economy of the game towards scarcity, but I'll need to play a 2 player game to confirm that suspicion. That means you can look forward to an updating opinion from me coming soon. And that's all I played this week. If you want to hear more of my board game reviews, you can find them on my blog, meepleandthemoose.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MooseMeeple or on Instagram at MeepleandTheMoose. Have a happy Wednesday. What up, gamers? I'm Jason from Jason Dragons, and today is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. And Julie and I have been playing the Transformers deck building game published by Renegade Game Studios, designed by Matt Hyra and Dan Blanchett. Now this is a game for one to five players and it plays either cooperatively or competitively depending on the mode and what you're in the mood for. How you will play the game is you're going to be setting up what is known as the matrix using cards from the game. Now the amount of cards that will be in the matrix and in the deck is based on the amount of players. You're going to be seeding the deck with some Decepticon bosses as well. And depending on the game mode, these are gonna be a big part of your objectives. Now in the competitive game, they're a giant nuisance. They're gonna to have to work together with some players to defeat. And in the cooperative game, you must defeat all of the Decepticon bosses in order to successfully win the game. In the competitive game, they really just hinder you. They'll give you the most points, 
but there is no real way for everyone to lose. And there will be one winner based on victory points in the competitive mode, cooperative mode, just beat the bosses like I just mentioned. So what did Julie and I think about the game? Well, I have to say we both really enjoyed the game. Uh, besides the competitive mode, we only played the original core box and not the Rising Darkness box that includes Decepticons. And while we found the game is very playable, it works well with victory points, uh, it just dragged a little bit for us in the uh, competitive mode compared to the cooperative game. And having Autobots competing to defeat Decepticons, I know for me as a fan of the series, just didn't quite feel right. I think maybe if I was playing as the Dinobots, because they like to compete, it might feel a little bit more thematic. But while it was okay, it just wasn't the most fun experience. Uh, we did like how damage worked and how that forced you to let other players assist. But what we did find as well is that Decepticon bosses can be quite a nuisance. And sometimes those extra points that the person that does defeat them gets uh, by putting them in the vault means you don't necessarily want to help them out uh, when they're going to be ch challenging the boss. You might not want to assist. You might want to make them do it all by themselves. So that is something that we didn't just love about the gameplay. I do think that this competitive mode is going to do very well uh, when they're in introducing team play with, with uh, the Rising Darkness. And you can either play, you know, like one person as an Autobot, one person as a Decepticon, 2v2, and a whole lot of other ways. And I think that's going to be our preferred way of playing this game uh, competitively. We'll find out shortly as we're going to be getting the Rising Darkness to the bo box to the table in just a couple of weeks. Now, when it comes to the cooperative game, I have to say we really enjoyed that. Uh, working together, the fact that victory points have been turned into Energon, and just the way that the game pushes you to work together with the bosses, even just getting rid of the uh, the enemy robots, the enemy bots that are in the grid, I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, all the cards are incredibly uh, thematic as well. This applies to both modes as using the same cards. Same with the movement through the grid is something that we both really enjoyed. I wasn't sure that was going to work, but it really let you, uh, well, sorry, it let the designers adapt uh, the alternate mode and movement very well. I really like being able to move through the grid, transform multiple times to complete different tasks depending on the cards that I was playing and what I was finding in the grid uh, at the time of where I needed to go. So they really definitely brought the theme of Transformers into this deck building game. Uh, the art is very good as well. Now, I'm not a fan of all of the art. I personally think Bumblebee should still be a, a Volkswagen bug and not kind of look like a Camaro. And I thought that Ironhide and Ratchet looked more like minivans than, uh, well, I guess they kind of were minivans, but I thought they should look just uh, a little bit cooler. But overall, no complaints. The fact that all the characters have asymmetric abilities, uh, Energon abilities was really cool. I like the fact that they all play a little bit differently, but not a single one of them seems to be necessarily the most powerful. They all have their strengths and weaknesses and adds a nice variety, meaning that playing the game as any character, you're going to have some fun with and you're not going to be like, oh, I have to play this guy. Otherwise, the other players are going to have an unfair advantage or I'm just going to be playing lagging behind everyone else. So balance is good, the card game is good, and we really enjoyed it. And this is a game that Julie and I definitely want to get back to the table. More so me than her because I'm a big fan of the IP. So we do have the Rising Darkness. We are getting a couple more expansions from Renegade Games. So you can expect to see us discussing this uh, more in the future. Hopefully by the end of the year. I don't know. We've got a lot of stuff coming and we're really trying to get everything 
set up and organized so we can finish the year strong. Maybe even get two reviews out a week. I don't know, but uh, we'll see how it goes. So that's it. That's our nice comments about the Transformers deck building game. You can find our full review coming out the day after this releases. Uh, if I get it in in time, I am traveling, so it's <laughs> I might not have made the cutoff. Then you might find it during a, sorry, this segment may be released during another episode. And on that note, and with that being said, don't forget, keep playing games. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What's Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And we have a couple games to talk about this week. What's the first one, Anna-Marie? The first one is Survive Escape from Atlantis. Uh, this is the 30th anniversary edition that we've been playing. And it's designed by Julian Cortland Smith and published by Stronghold Games. Mm -hmm. uh, survive, Escape from Atlanta. So this is uh, Atlanta, not Atlanta, Atlantis. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't say Atlanta. Did no, I, 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 I oh, okay. stumbled over my words there. <laughs> um, this is a game I played ages ago, and we we recently got. When did we get this? I don't know. Not too long ago. In the last month or two, we yeah. got this. Yeah, and then. Um, it turned out our one son had been playing it a lot at school. Yes. And then he saw that we got it, and then he'd been wanting to play it all the time, so he played a lot with you. Yes. Um, so do we want to go over how <laughs> this game works? Because I, I haven't played it recently, but you guys played it a lot. So I could go over how he taught me how to play it, right. or I could go over <laughs> how you're actually supposed to play it. Yeah. <laughs> but he had it pretty much bang on. Like he he, There does, were a few but... rules that were, were not accurate, but anyways, he's doing a good job. Um, yeah, so basically you've got an ocean, and mm -hmm. it's made up of hexagons, mm -hmm. and you've got tiles. You've got mountain tiles, forest tiles, and beach tiles. And you um, they're double-sided, so you see the terrain on one side, and then on the other side, there are going to be symbols with a border, either a red border or a green border. Right. Green borders are going to be like an action you take right away. Red borders are going to be either like for your next turn or, or when something happens. Mm -hmm. um, so you set up the uh, all the island spaces together with all those terrains um, and then you place out you have some sea serpents so you place a sea serpent in the like the middle of the island yeah and then in the four corners of the island and then um yeah and then you one at a time you each have i think 10 little meeples your little yeah. um people that are on the island um you place them onto the uh, onto the empty spaces of the terrain there um, and on the bottom of each meeple, there's a number, I believe it's one to six. And that denotes like how much treasure that meeple can carry, like carries with him. Right. So that's going to be, end up being your game and scoring, whichever of those meeples you save, you oh, add okay. up that's their scores. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you can look at them before you place them, but once they're placed, you don't look at them until the end of the game, regardless mm. of whether they sink or survive. Right. Um, so once you've got all your meeples laid out, then, uh, you just start the game and there are four things you can do really, where you, you play a terrain tile from your hand. So this won't happen in the first turn, but if you've, um, if you've got any terrain tiles, that's, that was the, maybe a red one or something, you, <clears throat> you, you play it. Um, then you move your explorers and your ship tokens. So you get three movement spaces each mm -hmm. turn. So you could move like one guy, three spaces, or you could move one guy, yep. you know, two guys, one space, and then your boat one. Right. Um, 
and then you remove a terrain tile. So you pick any tile and it's supposed to be adjacent to a water, like a Yeah, as if it's slowly sinking. And so you have to remove the only like rules is that you have to remove this the beach tiles first, so like the sand ones. Right. Because they would naturally get get soaked up first. And then you would move the remove the forest tiles and then the mountain tiles. So you take one, you look at it, you don't show anybody else because that's gonna be the -hmm. green or the red tile. Um and then you uh, then you roll the monster die. Um, well, it's a die, and right, it, it there's can the serpents and sharks and, and the whales, whales and, and then that will tell you kind of you get to move the serpent mm-hmm. or the the shark or the whale. Right. If um, if you end up with a shark going into your um, into your tile, like into your water tile, you're eaten and you're out of the game. Yep. Um, so there are different things like that. If you're on a boat and a whale comes the boat's like out of the game and you're out of the game so there but if it's just you and the whale comes and like nothing really happens so there are different things that happen um that's essentially what you're going to do and you're trying to get your um your explorers or your your people um onto the boats and then to safety which they're the four corners of the board they're like four different islands right or maybe land masses but (laughs) you just you're trying to get off of atlantis because it's sinking and then there is a volcano tile uh, mixed in and amongst the terrain. Once that volcano tile is flipped, game ends immediately. Oh, right. What you have in the four corners, that's you then point. add up your points. That's it. Right. Yeah, I remember playing this one. I really liked it. Um, I think I played because there's a few different games in the Survive series, I believe. And I think I played a couple different ones, and I couldn't remember if this was one of the ones I'd played. And yeah, this is definitely one of the ones I played. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds cool. I'd like to play it here soon with you guys. Um, but yeah, Since he's super into it. He did a pretty good job of explaining. So good. We'll we'll adjust a few things. Yeah. But we played we played quite a few times and then. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'd come in and you'd be you guys would be playing it, or I'd come home from work and you guys yeah. were playing it and things. But yeah, that's survive so, from Atlantis. Uh, or, uh, escape from Atlantis uh, from Stronghold, right? Yeah, yeah. Survive, escape from Atlantis. And we've also been playing Three Thousand Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot of scoundrels. Unexpected games and Corey Knitska. Um, so this is a, this is a crazy weird one, um, like theme wise, <laughs> it's about like time traveling and all this cool tech that you're collecting back in the old Western days. And we're going to be reviewing this on, uh, our next episode of the Meeple Dungeon podcast. So that should be coming in the next couple days. And yeah, so we're not going to spoil any of that here, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's it for this week and we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hey there, it's Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and what have I been playing? You know, what you've you been playing? I keep thinking, Beastie Boys, what you, what you, what you want? Um, you know, what I want is more Dune Imperium. Uh, we played it last night in Gamer's Garage, and uh, we played it with the expansion. And I'm just going to click here, and uh, you never know how to pronounce this one. Is it, um, is it Zix or The Rise of Ix? But uh, we we played with the expansion and all of the characters, right? You know, access to everything. And oh, well, before I continue, uh, is designed by Paul Adenin and published by Dire Wolf. And uh, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's the same publishing company and designer kind of that whole combination uh, of creative team that came up with Clank. 
I think I got it right. Exclamation and clank in space. Yeah, too many exclamation points. Um, but uh, yeah, this so this is one to four players, and I've played it solo, and it's awesome. And it plays sixty to uh, it says sixty to one hundred twenty minutes, and played a little longer because we had some, you know, learning the expansion uh, uh, time in there. But uh, no complaints at all. So just for those who uh, for those who don't know, Dune, uh, based on the IP of the same recent movie, and um, not the old one. Not there's no sting in this one. I'm telling you that. Uh, and uh, so yeah, you are uh, you represent depending on who you have as a faction or as you know as a team uh, or individual. Uh, so you represent uh, different interests in uh, basically occupying man it's just it's all over the, not all over the place but there's so many dimensions to it um occupying the board in a worker placement manner or um are you going to uh build your actions in your deck through the market and uh so yeah you have a you, it's a, a deck builder deck builder <laughs> deck builder worker placement and it is intriguing in the fact that usually in deck builders you play your whole hand out in regards to the card's actions and or the value in the market. But in this case, the, uh, there's, icon, there's iconography um, representing the different areas on the board. And each card doesn't actually have access to all areas. It has access to some or a limited amount. But uh, you have to plan because you have two workers or two, you know, little, little meeples and, uh, or doonples. And uh, you, you choose to put them in certain places, and then with the remainder of your cards, you have the ability to either buff up your military combat situation, because that's another cool thing, or go to the market and try to synergistically purchase cards that work for your deck. Because I'm a big fan of, and when it comes to deck builders, run it lean, right? I mean, get those power cards in play as fast and as much as possible. And uh, so, yeah, so that's that whole idea of how the, how, the, how the system kind of works in regards to what you're doing. Now, on the board, like I said, there's different areas. There's, on the, there's you know, there's resources of water, spice, uh, power, Right in regards to seats on councils, and and then there are because a good euro always has tracks. So there's four tracks representing the different, um, you know, like the Fremen and the right. So you got that. And in uh, in these small tracks, there's two inter two important intervals for victory points because down to the bones of this game, it's a race game, and if you're playing the base game i believe it's a it's a race to oh i'm not even going to guess here we went no it's a race to 10 and we went to 12 because we played with all the expansions and all the bells and whistles but yeah so oh man this there's so much cool dimension to this game and i haven't even talked about the combat because if you know the movie it's a conflict scenario situation and the conflict resolves itself or or actions itself in this uh on the planet and you either participate in every um, combat round or combat battle in the round uh by by putting soldiers in and in this thing we had dreadnoughts were so cool and uh yeah there's and and why do you do that because of the 
the benefits each round you'll flip a card saying okay whoever is in first place in the military it's and the combat is interesting because it's it's there's no fighting or dice rolling it's basically who who can get the most people in there and it's like a ladder and the the cool part to that is you can see what's going on and 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 the numbers represented in in the battle uh on the planet in front of you on the board because when you flip over and resolve the cards remaining, the, you can buff it up with uh, some extra military strength. And also, there's intrigue. I know this game just goes on. There's intrigue cards, which uh, during combat round, you can also flip over and add a little bit more military strength. So uh, these rewards for first, second, third uh, are important because last night, that's what got me the game. Right, I won two points, two valuable points, and my entry card had uh, another two points for achieving very uh, difficult goals during the game, and uh, that's the first time I won. So I was so fired up. So that's probably why I'm so positive about the game. Because if I'd have lost, I'd have been like, "Yeah, it's great. It's a deck builder worker placement. Let's move on." <laughs> no, um, and if it sounds familiar, uh, the Lost Ruins of Arnak has that same, now they're not, it's apples and oranges, right, if that makes sense, uh, has that same worker placement uh, deck builder. But they, they use that uh, engine scenario in a different manner, right? There's, it's got a different gearbox, right? That's kind of what I want to say. And uh, the Dune Imperium, uh, because of the uh, genetic coding of Clank, has so so much card synergy going on that it's more of a deck builder worker activation kind of thing, right? So uh, long story short, no, well, not that long. I don't know. Um, <laughs> subjective. Um, long story short, I, this game is absolutely, fa- I was going to say I love this game, but you know, that's pretty common. Uh, this game is so dynamic, so engaging. Uh, the solo play is is strong and uh, it's another success by that uh, Dire Wolf team. Um, and uh, yeah, Paul, uh, Paul Denon and Dire Wolf, fantastic. Uh, I can't wait to, I think there's word of more expansions. And of course, more cards are always great too, right? Um, but yeah, more plays to this game. I, it, I'm, would, I don't think I'll ever get bored of this game. So that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this pre- it's short episode, but you know, fantastic episode nonetheless. And uh, uh, so, thank you so much for listening to what we have to say, and thank you to the content creators who contributed this week. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, as always. And before I head out, because it's minus thirty today Celsius, yeah, figure the conversion out, and then you had this like body chill. Uh, I'd say keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? But you shouldn't go outside. It's too cold. (laughs) 